0: And welcome back. Our next
1: guest, I met in a networking group. From the networking group, we were part of an accountability group that she was the leader of. Now, this woman is an amazing entrepreneur, helping families dealing with focus and attention disorders. She helps parents understand that traditional schooling is just not for everyone, and it's okay. Not only that, she's going to be talking to us and really share about how mindset and Language can affect us. I'm so proud to be able to call her my friend and so excited for you guys to all meet Coach Carrie. Carrie, thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this.
1: Yes. I, you know, it's so funny because when I have one of my friends that I know more intimately than, you know, some of the other guests I have on there, I I think about, oh my gosh, this is going to be a great episode because we've got so much area that we can cover. But I would like to really focus in because you're, tell us what you primarily focus with when you take on clients as a coach.
2: Sure. I'm a mindset coach for teens with ADHD and anxiety. And in case you don't know what that means, because most people don't, because I made it up. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Totally made it up. I help parents understand their teens and I help their teens realize they're not stuck the way they are. They don't have to be stuck in that state of chaos and fear and worrying all the time and brain fog. And instead, They really can find their own path to be confident, independent, successful, and living a life they love.
1: I love that. So really what you're doing is you're coaching families because you're working on both ends of the spectrum. You're helping the children understand that there's nothing wrong with them, as well as helping the parents out understand
2: that there's nothing wrong with them either, right? Exactly. And it's funny you say I'm coaching families because really I started out, well, I was a teacher. I started out in the child space and then the tutoring space. And as I got more and more down the path of the mindset coaching, just because that's what my students needed, I found myself spending more and more time with the parents. And all of the parents were saying to me, oh my gosh, I understand what you're saying now. I understand why my child is this way. I understand why that checklist I gave them didn't work. Right. And the parents didn't understand that before and everyone was frustrated and it was just this, you know, chaotic family mess that was not the picture that they wanted. So I'm getting into that, you know, returning the peace to your family kind of space.
1: I love that. And as, you know, Carrie, I've shared with you before how we brought my niece into our family and she was 12 years old. And boy, could we have used your services back then (laughs) because you don't want to talk about chaos. That was crazy times. So I kind of, as an outsider looking in, you're kind of taking the, and maybe I've heard this wrong, but you're kind of taking the approach like when we take a dog, not that a child is like a dog, please don't anybody send me hate mail here. But you know, when we train a dog or a pet, it's really training the pet owner versus training the pet. The pet is responding to how the pet owner So when we're helping the parent in taking your focus from the child to the parent, is that where you're getting more of the chaos subdued?
2: Yeah, exactly. So I could work with kids day in and day out. And, you know, I've even had some students who their families will say, well, I'm the only one who can get them to do their work. And that's fine and dandy, but really that's not helping anyone. It's helping the child in that moment, but it's not helping the bigger picture. Right. And what I find is the most helpful for families is not so much me telling the parent, how to change things to benefit their child, but more so helping them understand the place that the child is coming from. Uh, yeah, when they really understand that, then they kind of figure out how to help their child. Right. And it's so much more individualized right. that way.
1: Right. And so it's a matter of, yeah, I mean, my brain is going in a million different directions here, but I love this. So what in your years, since you said you started off as a teacher and then went into tutoring, so you've had quite some time working with children, what are some of the problems that you were seeing? What are the pain points that really brought you to creating the coaching that you have today? Wow. So many. (laughs) Long story short. That's not even funny. I apologize. (laughs) That's not really worth laughing at, is it?
2: You know, in the classroom, I was really fortunate. For the most of my time teaching, I worked in a very small private school where I could pretty much do whatever I want. Okay. I could try whatever I wanted as long as, you know, I could show that it was working. Okay. But really, I still felt like my hands were tied because I only had so much time with the kids Mm -hmm. and there were still certain things I had to teach and, and get it all in. And I just felt constricted. Okay. And it's really hard to meet the needs, no matter how amazing you are as a teacher. And I'm not putting myself in that category, It's hard to meet the needs of all the students in front of you. You know, you only have so much time in your day, no matter how well-intentioned you are to do all of the things. Right, right. You just simply can't because you have to stop. There are times when you just have to stop and you can only do so much. And really, I left the classroom because I had kids and I thought, I just don't have energy to do both jobs exceptionally well. Right. I can't be the best mom and the best teacher at the same time. Okay, I was planning to be a stay-at-home mom. I had a couple of tutoring clients here and there, and then suddenly I had like 15 of them. Um, it just it just exploded. Right. And the more I was doing the academic tutoring, the more I realized that the students, for the most part, weren't coming to me with academic problems. Sure, I worked with some kids who had dyslexia, and I have specialized training down that path, but really the most common problem that the students were having is just not fitting into the classroom because it wasn't teaching them in the way that they needed to learn. I think that is
1: so powerful of a statement right now because there's so much out there that treats everybody as the same, you know, and you can take that across so many different mediums, right? And we're not. Everybody is a unique individual. So you're seeing that their needs aren't met in the way that they're being taught, right? Yes. Okay. So then from that, where did you go? Was that your inspiration as to, well, let's formulate some
2: ideas here to help personalize things? Yeah, really. It was just my students. Mm -hmm. What do they need and what can I give them? That's more than helping them get their homework done. And I would do the typical things that like an ADHD or an executive functioning coach would do as far as helping students look at their upcoming assignments and make sure they're written down somehow that works for them, plan when they're going to do things, break it down, look at their calendars, all those things. Right. But what I've ended up doing more of is really that mindset piece and helping them build confidence. And I follow a specific path when I'm doing that, helping them overcome some of the personal challenges that they have and goals they're working towards. I teach different kinds of affirmations. We do different kinds of mindfulness strategies. And I don't force any one thing down their throat. Okay. I say, you know, we're going to look at this today. Try it out for a little while. See if you like it. If you do, great. If not, then we'll move on to something else. Okay. And it's just exposure and coming at every single thing they're trying to do with the focus of moving forward. Right. Sometimes when we work with someone, really anyone, but especially my population tends to have the label of ADHD or anxiety, we get so stuck in the mistakes they made. Right why didn't you do this? How could you have done it better? You know, I don't understand why you did that homework and it's still sitting in your backpack and we just get in this cycle of, (laughs) you know, just these arguments. And instead of doing any of that, it's okay, the homework didn't get turned in. What do we do now? Right. And it's always forward focused. Okay, you didn't like that mindfulness activity. Let's try the next thing.
1: So are you finding... You're primarily working with students who have some, you know, focus or attention issues. Do you feel like your exposure has shown you that or maybe because you say they're labeled as? Are you finding that there's a lot of kids who just don't have the right mindfulness training that are being diagnosed as having ADHD or anxiety, you know, are having these issues, but truly that's not it? It's the mindset and the language. That gets used.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, keep in mind, I'm not a doctor, but what I see more and more is that we live in a very complicated world. Yes, a very complicated world. And our students, our children just aren't equipped to handle it. And really, as our world keeps changing and our culture keeps changing and moving forward, school hasn't moved forward all that much, okay? Now, of course, there've been advances. Absolutely. We see a lot more technology, we see a lot more like project-based learning and a whole slew of things. So, I'm not trying to come down here on the school system. I I do believe they're doing the best they can. Right. But it's just this mismatch in the way children have to exist in the world and then they go into school and they need to sit down and be quiet and pay attention. And it's just not reflective of the world they live in when they walk outside of this classroom.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, we have become such a society, I believe, of rapid, give it to me now, results now, you know, and over inundated with the stimulation. You know, I I grew up, I'm much older than Coach Carey is here. But when I was growing up, I don't ever remember being inside the house. We were not. We were always outside. We were always playing. We were always using our imaginations, you know, and I don't think we see that
2: today. We really don't. And I think that's just a huge problem. Yeah. The whole imaginative play thing is going by the wayside. And a lot of times I'll see kids playing and they'll be acting out movie scenes or TV scenes. Which seems creative and believe me, my kids do this too. And every time I'm like, oh no, they're (laughs) at it again. Like all they're doing is acting out frozen. Um, (laughs) Let it go. (laughs) Oh, we hear that all the time at our (laughs) house.
1: So... You know, I had a guest on. One of the things she talked about, and I have to think that, you know, especially when we're dealing with kids who have problems with attention and focus, that, you know, tapping into that creative side of them, because that's one of the things that this gal was telling us in order to calm our inside, you know, and really reduce our stress levels, that we needed to tap into our creative side and spend some time. She said, I don't care if it's coloring, if it's, you know, getting colored out in coloring or, or colored pencils or doing a puzzle or paint, you know but just something that you can do that really kind of taps into that creative side.
2: Yeah. When they're little, it's kind of easy to figure that out. Yeah. The whole self-directed play thing, you just see what they gravitate towards. Right. But now as I work with older students, I'll ask them, well, what do you like to do? how do you like to relax? And pretty much the answer is always, well, I I watch YouTube or I watch something on TV. I say, okay, what if we take that away? Then what are you going to do? And almost always the answer is, what? I don't know. (laughs) I legitimately don't know what I would do outside of that. And that I think that interest finding is so important because as we grow up, and school or whatever other factors, we tend to lose that creativity. Mm -hmm. And then we don't know what to do. I used to think that I was not creative. Mm -hmm. Um, And I used to think that some people were creative and some people were not. But recently I've had a total transformation on that and realized that, Everyone really does have a creative side to them. Oh, yeah. It's just whether or not they've lost it along the way or whether or not they know how to tap into it. Exactly. And you talked
1: about something real specific there that if we don't tap into this when they're young... And then again, as teens, you know, it comes to haunt us when we're adults, because then what we do is we carry over, my job identifies me, my parenting identifies me, my spouse identifies me. And then when you're left alone, I remember, I'm trying to remember how old I was, probably sometime in my thirties and being asked, what do you enjoy doing? What do you like to do? And I'm like, huh? I have no idea, you know, and how sad of a state of affair, you know, that you get through that much life and are still trying to figure out, you know, what the things that you enjoy. Yeah. So I really want to dig into a lot of mindset and language because, you know, obviously the podcast is called The Toxin Terminator. And in my opinion, mindset can be either toxic or not. Would you agree?
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: So let's talk about what is some of the toxic mindset that you find either with the parents or with the children or adults? I mean, they're young adults. You know, what
2: are you finding? And well, let's just start there. So many of the kids I work with self-identify as lazy and unmotivated. Mm. They literally use those words with me. Well, Miss Carrie, I'm lazy. I'm just lazy. I didn't do my homework because I'm lazy. And often when I have conversations with the parents, they say the same thing that, well, my child's just lazy. Mm -hmm. You know, she just, she needs to stop being lazy. She needs to get it together. And while anyone could tend towards a lazy personality, in most cases, when I work with these kids, that's just not what it is. Right. More often it's that they're having a hard time getting started. They don't know how to get started. And a lot of times it's because they have this fear of failure because they're so accustomed to screwing up.
1: Ah, oh, what a...
2: Yeah, and... I don't mean to say that, hey, I think these kids are screwing up, but what's happening is let's say they did that homework and they stuffed it in their backpack and it didn't get turned in. That's a screw up. Right. And if you're talking about a child with ADHD or anxiety or executive functioning issues or, you know, just a typical teen who's in a chaotic school environment, which is more common than not, it happens and it happens all the time. Right. Or the teacher shouted out the homework as they were leaving class. And the child just missed that it, you know, was even an assignment. Right. Or they're being asked to do an assignment they don't feel prepared to do or the instruction piece wasn't there enough to prepare the child. So they're always experiencing these failures, these setbacks. They're screwing up. Mm -hmm. And the more of those you have, the more they pile up on top of you and the harder it becomes to get started. Yeah. And then suddenly you look like you're procrastinating on the outside. But really, in the inside, you're just struggling to get started. That fear. Yeah.
1: Well, and that message is getting hardwired in their brain. You know, that channel is just grooving in deeper and deeper in them, you know, to understand that it doesn't matter what I do, I'm going to be labeled as XYZ,
2: right? Right. Or I'm going to screw up again. Yep. Or I'm not going to be good enough. And then holy heck, what if I actually succeed? Mm -hmm. Then everyone's going to know I can do it and I have to do it all of the rest of the times. And that's a really scary thing because maybe I'm still going to screw up here and there.
1: Right, right. I love that. And do you think that a piece of perfectionism is in there too? Or is that you're identifying as being a perfectionist as I can't get started because I think I'm going to screw up, you know? So in their minds, it's like, well, if I can't get this done perfectly, then I don't want to do it at all.
2: There absolutely can be an element of that. Okay. It can be in addition to what's going on, but it can also kind of be a separate thing. So I would say not everybody who's struggling to get started is experiencing perfectionism. Right. Typically, perfectionism comes in two forms, self-oriented and other-oriented. Right. Self-oriented means that you feel the need to be perfect for yourself. That paper has to be perfect for you. Right. Other-oriented, which I think I really struggle with, was having this random stream of consciousness uh, conversation with my husband the other day and realized, hmm, this sounds really familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Other-oriented is when you kind of have that fear of other people thinking that what you're doing isn't good enough. So, you know, that paper has to be perfect or you don't want your teacher to see it. Right. Right. Right, I'm not going
1: to be made fun of, I'm not going to have the others, you know, do that. Okay. Right. So some of the things are then either internal words that we're saying to ourselves or external words that we've heard told to us. So from the child's viewpoint then, because you'd work with them, how do they say this is making them feel? How are they, you know, how is this hurting them by having this kind of toxic stuff going on inside their brains?
2: It often takes a little while for them to get to the point where they even notice Mm -hmm. because for them, it's so common and they don't realize it's not, I don't want to use the word normal, but they don't realize that it's not, I don't know. They don't realize that not everybody has this running through their heads or that they may not realize there's another narrative or story that could be running through their heads. Okay. It takes a while for them to get to that place. And then kind of when they realize that a switch flips, I've had students tell me, I'm so used to feeling like crap. I just feel like crap all the time. And it's just like normal. Mm -hmm. I had a student tell me that she's going into taking some exams and it's not that she wasn't confident with the material, but she wasn't confident in her ability to take the exam. She wasn't confident with herself. And then when they start to realize this is that moment where we can start changing things, changing that narrative. Otherwise, until they get to that point of realizing it's kind of like just another grown up telling them what to do and what to say, and there's no relevancy behind it. And they just want to roll their eyes and move on. Okay, whatever. Right. Right. No.
1: So, you know, we all, many of us where I work with people. And so how do you get them to that point where they're at that realization that, hey, wait a minute, this isn't, you know, what everybody else thinks. This isn't how everybody else does. How do you walk them up to that point?
2: The very first thing I do is have them set really small wins. Okay. So a lot of times we talk about setting goals and goals are kind of bigger and they take longer to get there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or we have them make a vision. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about teens, you know, they don't, they don't see the whole world yet. It's really hard for them to make a vision. Right. And especially if we're talking about someone with ADHD or anxiety, that kind of drawing it out past this moment is virtually impossible. Like even if they see it or they have a goal they want to aim towards, it's just too far away that it's not relevant. Sure. So what I do is start in the very present moment. Okay. What can you do right now? Make a promise to yourself and keep it. Like literally right now, I'm going to go do one push up or I'm going to take three sips of my water right, because I know that's a healthy thing, or I'm going to eat a banana. Mm-hmm. Just one teeny, teeny, tiny thing right now that you can do. You do it. Hey, you just did that good job. right? And then you take that and you build on it. And you just work from that small win in that moment to what's one thing you can do in a day. And you have to keep it really small. right? Is it making a bed? Is it making sure you eat? Whatever it is that's relevant to that child, whatever they come up with, even if it sounds ridiculous. You know, I'm going to tie my shoes today. Yeah, as long
1: as it's important to them. Exactly. You know, their psychology, and I know you know this, but there's a psychology behind our brain does not differentiate between a major huge win and a little tiny win, right? It's all a win. And so psychologically, even though they small, and as an adult, we look at it that way, it's still a win. Exactly. Okay, so now we're walking through some of the steps that we can help the student with in establishing some good wins and that'll open up the pattern to be able to start developing that new dialogue for them. But what about the parents? How are we
2: working alongside them at the same time? So at that point, you can start leading your child into the direction of wins that the parent sees is more beneficial. Okay, But you have to be really cautious with that still, because it has to be relevant to the child. And so many times we might want to say, whatever, you're going to get all A's and B's on your report card. But to a child, that's really not relevant. And again, it's too far down the road. Right. So it's recognizing the wins celebrating them, but not big celebrations. Right. More like from a place of noticing. Right. Because those big celebrations, then you get back to the team with that, oh, crap, (laughs) I did something right. (laughs) I'm going to have to do it again and again and again. And what if I screw up? And then you just get in this anxiety cycle again of not wanting to get started because you might screw up. Right. Right. And then when there is a screw up, because it happens, you come from a place of, okay, what's next? Gotcha. So that's a great. And I think as
1: parents, you know, that was one of the things that was so hard for Curt and I to understand with Jenny. Number one, it was a girl. We raised boys, so I'm sorry. And especially getting a girl at the age of 12 and not newborn, we didn't know what the heck we were dealing with there. That was (laughs) was a whole nother ballgame. But I think as a parent, you know, understanding that what's important to me is not what's important to them. What I feel as a 40 year old is far different than what they're feeling as a teenager. Their views on life and their views on the world are so very different at that point than it is as an adult. So, how do you walk mom and dad, you know, through those mindset changes as well? Because, you know, quite honestly, I think some of our ways, of what we think is helping our children, setting boundaries, you know, doing these things is actually hurting them and it's become very toxic to them. And it's definitely toxic to the relationship.
2: Yeah. So basically, like you just said, speaking about the fact that the child or the teen is living in their world and their world is different than mom and dad's world. And that teen is never really going to understand mom and dad's world, no matter how much we tell them about it. It's just not the same world. Yes. Is it physically the same world and culture that we live in? Absolutely. (laughs) But their perspective is just different because their brain is in a different stage of development. Right. And it's not the same as it was when mom and dad were teens. Right. And, you know, that's the same for any generation. Yeah. The the way your child is growing up is going to be different than the way you grew up. Exactly,
1: so are there tools that you try to help give parents then as well, you know, so that they can take that step back? Because I think for me, in my experience with my niece was it caused so many emotional outbursts where she's wanting to be heard, I'm wanting to be heard, and neither one of us are hearing each other. so it's just this total yelling and and this real emotional I, you know, I think back on it and it, you know, it was chaos and things are good today, which is great news, parents, hang on, you know, it gets better. But what could I have done differently at that point? Is there a tool that, you know, or something that a parent says, oh my gosh, I'm so following exactly what you're saying. You know, what one or two things can I do that would really help?
2: I think that as a parent, you have to be really willing to hear your child out. Even if you disagree, just hear them out and try as much as you can to be emotionless about that. Because if you react as a parent, that's going to get the child to react. And I'm talking with my hands here and I know your (laughs) listeners can't see it. But it's this escalation, you know, when one reacts, the other reacts, and then the other reacts stronger and so on. And then it just frees this chaos. Right. So I think that what's really important is both parties being willing to communicate and removing that emotion. Now, you can't always remove it, but even having like a neutral space, where when we sit at the kitchen table or when we sit on this sofa, we are both going to say our piece and we're going to be as emotionless as possible and discuss it. And that's our safe space to get it out without those emotions.
1: Emotions are our fear of repercussion. Yeah. Would that be, you know, part of it too, feeling like if we really share how we're really feeling about it, that, you know, I'm going to be in trouble or, you know, coming from the child's side and the parent side, I'm trying to remember back, you know, what that felt like for me, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Now, what about... Do you feel like there's environmental factors? I mean, we talked about mindset and language and how those are huge in helping us, you know, get to a better, more positive, you know, level of understanding and education and growth. But what about, do you feel like there's any environmental things that are going on within the schools or the homes? Let's talk homes because that's what we have control over.
2: Sure. Yeah, I was going to say, as far as the schools, just parents need to know that the picture they have of what's going on in school probably isn't what's really going on in school. And just having an understanding that I'm not saying school is a terrible place, but the environment is probably a little more chaotic than the parents are envisioning.
1: That's scary.
2: Yeah, just just having that understanding that when your child says, hey, I didn't hear the teacher say the homework, that may be very true. Right. Or I didn't know we had homework or my teacher, you know, didn't tell us where to put this paper. All of those things may be very true. Right. As far as home,
1: hmm. I know I'm putting you on the spot.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think what tends to happen is that everybody has their own space, especially when we're talking about teens here. You know, the teens go to their bedroom Mm -hmm. and they stay there and they do their homework there and they do their computer stuff there. And depending on your family practice, maybe there's a family dinner. Maybe there's not because we tend to be so overscheduled, which is another thing we can get to too. And that there's really not a lot of opportunity for that connection to happen. So I think that can play a really big role. Okay. Whereas if you have to be in a common space, at least for some of the night, you're more likely to have that connection and that interaction. Right you know, if you're doing your homework at the kitchen table or somewhere else. Right.
1: Now, is it worth having, you know, you're talking about time and I think family time is so important, you know, to really, and not just that we're all sitting in the same room because we can all be sitting in the same room, but glued, you know, having a TV blaring. And so no one's participating in any kind of conversation anyway. Right. Yeah. You know, so having those, you know, activity, are there things that you try to encourage families to do with their time together? Or that's kind of a, you know, feel what's right for you?
2: I mean, more feel what's right for you, but some ideas. um, Something my husband and I love to do is we'll listen to a podcast. So there's technology involved, but we pause it and we talk about it. Anytime any point comes up, we pause it and we talk about it. So you could do that with, you know, the news or a podcast or something you're all reading together, a newspaper article, and have a conversation about it. Sometimes it's hard to figure out what to talk to or what to say when you're talking to someone. Yeah. But having a starting place like that can be really helpful. That's a great idea. I love
1: that. What about, do you guys do, or is this even a word anymore for when you're dealing with your children is boundaries? You know, are we talking about boundaries at all? You know, because you talked about time and I think part of, you know, time is boundaries too. knowing how to say no, that it's okay not to be involved in every single thing and, you know, doing all the things. It's okay to just be a
2: kid. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that is incredibly important. You know, we're kind of in this culture of we have to do all these things Mm -hmm. so that we look good so that we can go to college. Right. And we end up with overscheduled kids, overscheduled parents. And, you know, if there's more than one child at home, one child's going here, the other child's going there. And then when do families spend time together? Right. I would say that. What I like to do with my students is a visual schedule. Okay. So different than just like the calendar on your phone. I use an Excel spreadsheet or like a Google spreadsheet and where they can actually see their chunks of time down to the half hour, 15 minutes, and then look for when they have pockets of free time and decide how do they want to fill that up. Is there an activity they want to do? How much of that free time is going to be spent on homework? Because that's the other thing is that sometimes kids will just say, well, oh, I have three hours. I'm just going to do my homework for three hours. Well, no, you shouldn't be doing your homework for the only three. That's a hard thing to say. Three (laughs) free (laughs) hours that you have. (laughs) I had to count those on my fingers to
1: get them out. I have seen a lot of parents do... I like to call it like a command center where it's like a big almost wipe off magnetic board where there's multiple children, they all have different colors and activities are put in there so you can get that visual representation and I talk with my hands too. <laughs> get that visual representation of, you know, when is the free time there? Exactly. And I think that
2: it's really important that you actually block out family time. Absolutely. That's something my husband and I have started doing that we plan a week in advance. We put it on the calendar. It doesn't have to be long. Sometimes it's not practical for it to be long. He and I committed to at least one hour that all four of us have family time. Right. And it doesn't have to be anything exciting. You know, it's just for us, sometimes we're playing in the back room with the kids, but that's technology free unless we're, you know, unless our thing is dancing and we're listening to music. Right. But, you know, it's not watching a movie or playing on our iPads or whatever. I love it. And if you don't block that time out, it becomes really difficult to make sure it happens. Yes. And we have really firm rules around it that once it goes on the calendar, the only thing that can interfere with it is absolute business emergencies or family emergencies. Gotcha. But it has to be a real emergency.
1: I love that. You know, I think when we talk about toxins in our life, there are so many different realms that it can go into. And sometimes when I talk to guests, they're like, well, how is this even related to toxins? But think about this, what we've talked about tonight so far, you know, we've talked about mind and language. We've talked about connection, you know, community. You know, so there are so many things that without some of those things, it's toxic to our life. And, you know, and with some of the things it's toxic to our life. So it's so important that we look at all the different ways that we're either creating a great environment for health of everything, you know, or we're creating a hostile environment. I love it.
2: Yeah. And when you're starting that family time, if it's something you're not used to, it might be awkward at first. Yeah. And that's okay. Yes. You know, play a game, yeah. play the stupidest game you can to just play up that awkwardness. Absolutely. And just commit to doing it and to get buy-in with the kids can be hard. So just going at it as it's an hour. I'm asking you for one hour Right. We're not looking at it for the next 10 weeks. We're looking at it for one hour this week. Right. Let's give it a try.
1: Yep. Give it a try. Give it a moment. I, yeah, I can so relate. So, and I know that I've can direct in this conversation and I want to be able to ask you, Carrie, are there things that you feel are important in this realm when we're talking with families, you know, cause really this is a family issue. Are there things that I haven't brought to light yet that you would like to bring out before we
2: run out of time? I think we've kind of talked about it, but maybe not in the same way, Okay. but the struggles that you're seeing with your child, especially if it's labeled as ADHD or anxiety or an executive functioning issue, those struggles are not inherent personality flaws. Okay. Don't be looking at them and labeling them as, you know, your kid just being lazy. It goes back to that. But looking at them from they are symptoms of a problem, whether it's an actual, you know, biological, physiological problem or whether it's an environmental problem or a combination of the two, you know, can be any number of things. But looking at it from that perspective and what can we do that gets to the root of the problem to then make the symptoms better?
1: I love that. I love that you gave it as getting to the root. And I think some of the, you know, obviously what we talk about here on the podcast is given some little tidbits of suggestions, but how can people, if they like what you're saying and really want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you so that they can hook up with you and have you
2: help them? Best bet right now is hop on Facebook and send me a Facebook messenger. Okay just shoot me a message. Tell me that you heard me on Amy's podcast and we'll
1: have a chat. So is your Facebook, is it Carrie Paxton or Carrie
2: Herzberger? I think now it's Carrie Paxton Herzberger. Okay. (laughs) So it's all (laughs) of
1: them. We'll make sure in the show notes. So Facebook is really the best way to get a hold of you.
2: It is, or this is going to get confusing because it's a different name. You could shoot me an email at carriepaxton at ymail.com. A long story with the last name thing.
1: <laughs> I always look at it, maiden married. You know, who knows? There could be another story where.
2: I <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's pretty much what it is. It's just some things got changed, some things didn't, and it's just kind of this craziness. You know that I just haven't gotten around to dealing with. Yeah.
1: See, I didn't know the full answer on that before we went live on the air, so that's why I introduced you as Coach Carrie. I didn't want to say Paxton and have it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to find you on Facebook under, if we look for you under Carrie Herzberger, that's where we'll find. Yeah. And I said that wrong too, didn't I?
2: Herzberger, but. Herzberger. Any variation of that works.
1: Okay. And then the Carrie Paxton at Y-Mail. Yeah com. That's awesome. Carrie, you've had so much valued information to give, not just our teens and parents too, you know, so you're hitting kind of dual dynamics here for people to listen and grab some tidbits from that. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on our podcast. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much for having me. You bet.
0: Oh,